You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, welcome back to your one-stop shop source of unvarnished policy news, real conservative news, real consistent principled focus from the smartest audience here at the conservative conscience, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. And it is actually Sunday morning. Quiet Sunday morning here, August 17th. Um, you know, sometimes I could just think better when kids are still sleeping. It's quiet, peaceful over the weekend. And I know I owe you guys another show. Um, on Friday, I meant to put out another show. I was really busy with a vast right-wing conspiracy. And I must say, it's not very vast because there aren't too many people focused on this. You know... You have an entire movement focused on nonsense, on the soap opera, on everything but the actual policy outcomes that matter. I'm not saying that the soap opera endemic in politics and policy sometimes isn't important or aspects of it aren't important. But the fact that we have a movement where 100% of their resources are dedicated to that, and meanwhile – on the most important issues of our time, not only is the left promulgating radical policies, they're getting the so-called right to buy into it. You guys know I've been practically the only person to focus on this, on crime. Yeah, you know that obscure, funny, weird issue like crime? The nexus of crime, understanding what is in the federal prison system, what's in the state prison system, Drug trafficking and the drug crisis, the truth about what the drug crisis is and what it isn't, a national security issue, a poisoning issue, an immigration issue, a sanctuary issue, and a violent crime issue, not a health care issue. And then we discussed Hezbollah in Latin America. We discussed terrorism. And it all comes together. It's amazing how all these issues come together. But as it stands now, we have Jared Kushner and the entire weight of the political universe behind an effort, I, w- I would say, to enact weak on crime policies and jailbreak, but that's not accurate. It's to exacerbate and accelerate the existing weak on, policy, on crime policies that have already taken root and have devastated almost every state that has tried it. And they want to continue on a federal I, – I don't, I don't want to say initiate on a federal level because even on a federal level, U.S. Sentencing Commission has let go 46,000 individuals. The fewest people since 1993 are sentenced to the mandatories. The prison population is way down per, per capita as a percentage of the population. It's the lowest level in 23 years. And crime is going up. We have the worst drug crisis ever. And I want to talk to you today about this emergency. I've alluded to it before, but I want to do a full show 
on criminal justice deform, what it is, what they're doing, how it's all built on a lie, and how it ties into drugs, and really understanding what drugs, it, you know, what the problem with drugs is, what it isn't, and addressing some of the libertarian concerns from a perspective that you probably will not hear elsewhere. You know, earlier this week, or last week at this point, 80 people dropped like flies in a New Haven, Connecticut park. Right, they just dropped like flies. It turned out, and those of you who are more religious, um, religious uh, listeners, I don't mean religious in terms of uh, Christian, I mean just uh, avid listeners of, of this show, You've heard me talk about this. You heard me have the former head of DEA Special Operations Division on talking about this latest Fed, which isn't even so new. It's been going on for a couple of years. In addition to the fentanyl laced in heroin, it's laced in cocaine, it's laced in meth, it's laced in even benzodiazepines, the um, sleeping uh, pills. But it's laced in this K2 spice, marijuana. Synthetic marijuana, they have these leaves that they package in these packets that are marketed to younger people like candy. It, it, has, it says Scooby-Doo on it. Um, I'm going to put in show notes, and I'm just going to make a note for myself to remember here, to put in there, uh, a video from the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York, of New York in 2015 when there was an outbreak of this in 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 New York, explaining exactly how this works. It's manufactured in China um, often, but now they figured out, you know, it's pretty easy to do here. All you have to do is take these leaves and you could spray any chemical on it, even put it in a, um, a syringe, a dropper, you know, just put tiny amounts and it doesn't take much of things on there. Now, what they've been doing until now, most cases, as you all know, it's been terrorist-related, and I still, I still need to have Derek back on to talk more in detail about this. The Yemeni immigrant-owned mini-marts, convenience stores, uh, it was laced with rat poison. So people hemorrhage out and they die um, or come close to dying. In this case in New Haven, it seems like, according to the reports I'm seeing, it was likely laced with fentanyl, which isn't surprising. So it doesn't appear that it was terrorism-related. But the result is kind of the same. The individual who they arrested, Felix Melendez. Now, notice it's a Hispanic-sounding name. Um, you know, again, a lot of this is really, it's from the Mexican cartels. He was arrested. Now, you know, I, I didn't think much of it. I was thinking more, yeah, I mean, this is the problem of the drug crisis, whatever. But then I saw in the Hartford Current that this man was out on parole despite being arrested for selling this stuff in May and having four prior felonies. Four prior felonies. Folks, that is criminal justice reform for you. That is what is already happening even without passing new bills. It's happening on the state level. They've already enacted this. We're already letting out early or never even imprisoning 
the most violent people that can now, it didn't say what other felonies he had, but I don't, I don't know if they were all necessarily drug felonies. Drug traffickers, A, are inherently violent, which is why when, once we had the tougher sentencing, we succeeded in dropping crime for two decades straight until we reversed the trend recently because we reversed the incarceration trend. So now we're, we're reversing the crime trend. But that's because these were the guys doing everything else. But I got news for you folks. It is so damn hard to land a conviction on murder, rape, and armed robbery, which they do in an, an assault. So they always plead down in order to land a conviction. We have to allow them to plead down. And usually they wind up hitting them on drug charges. Charges. 10, 12 years ago, when we were at the peak of incarceration and at the nadir of crime, all these people got together. And they said, too many people in jail. What the heck on drug crimes? We're just locking people up for nothing. You know, and quietly, when the public wasn't looking, and, and still, nobody knows this. You know, over the weekend, you know, every time we were done with services, uh, you know, people come over to me. Yeah, they want to know the latest, what's going on. And, you know, these are all conservatives. But, you know, all they know is from Mueller and whatever they hear on talk radio I'm like, dude, do you understand what I'm actually dealing with? They want to know what I'm dealing with. I say, it's crime. Do you understand that they're getting Trump, who's been tough on crime his whole career, to sign on to a bill that will dramatically release people, release thousands of people immediately retroactively, cut 20-year sentences to roughly seven-year sentences, and it's a numbers game. That's what law enforcement tells me. In other words – the more you let out quicker and earlier, the more they have to deal with. It's a numbers game. And most people don't realize this. This has been a one-sided fight. So I'm trying to, you know, law enforcement agencies, thankfully, are getting involved. Prosecutors, prison wardens, um, obviously police, police and sheriffs. Everyone recognizes this is insane. This bill is going to... On the front end and the back end, release the most violent felons. And again, in federal prison, the federal prosecutors only go after the big guys. You can't look at just what they were ultimately convicted at. You have to look at their rap sheet, their sentencing, the pre-sentencing report. Often they'll find people in state systems that were their whole life they were arrested for assault and rape and armed robbery and even murder, but we, they can't land a conviction and it's catch and release. They're violent as, as anything. So what they do is they usually hit them on one of two things, federal drug charges or federal firearms charges. And it's those two categories in particular that they're going to release. And these are the same people that have the nerve to complain about, oh, there's, there's an opioid crisis. Um, let's limit prescriptions, regulate health care, have these nanny state addiction programs. Oh, and by the way, let's release all the drug traffickers. It is astounding. I've never seen such hypocrisy in my life. It's, it's appalling. But what you saw in this New Haven Park, what you saw in Washington, D.C. two months ago, less than two months ago now, um, 300 people dropped. I, th I think that was rat poison um, from the K2 spice. There, seven people were killed. This is a national security problem. 
This was a national security problem. See, everything you thought about drugs until now, you have to revisit for a number of reasons. Number one, there's a, a, a minority element, but not insignificant element, subset of the drug problem, particularly, it doesn't appear like the, the New Haven case, but most of these other cases are Islamic terror. I heard from an agent when they made a bust in one of these uh, K2 cases that the Islamist immigrant, by the way, that we should never have let in, said, we don't need anthrax, we have K2. Not exactly an addiction issue. Because remember, see, in these cases, we're not necessarily dealing with long-term addicts. Sometimes it is. But, you know, unfortunately in the culture we have, kids, 18, 20, college age, you know, they're seeking a buzz. And, you know, it used to be bad enough with the drugs we had. But now everything is laced with poison. See, a lot of people are like, oh, let's legalize marijuana. Well, we essentially did legalize marijuana. I mean, a lot of states officially did, and even the ones that didn't, we essentially have decriminalized it. We're not locking anyone up for it. Certainly not possession, but even, um, even trafficking, very little. It's essentially legalized. And look, we have the worst drug crisis ever. So much for that. Oh, we'll take care of it. Because I got news for you. I have a lot of evidence. I'm looking at a lot of scholarly healthcare journals that refute a lot of the stuff the government's putting out. Um, OxyContin, for the most part, is not the gateway to heroin. More often, it's marijuana. That's number one. Number two, it's not a matter of even caring about marijuana anymore. It's the rat poison, the fentanyl that they're putting in it. So meaning even if you legalize it, which it essentially is, it, this is a poisoning issue. It's not so much a cultural you know, debate over culturally should we legalize or this or that. This is a national poisoning issue. The fact that it's become so popular and it's legalized essentially in a lot of places – all the more so, it's like candy. For better, for worse, I would argue for worse. Some people think marijuana is awesome, fine, whatever. But it's so prevalent now, you're going to kill a lot of people. The fentanyl started getting mixed in heroin. Then it went to cocaine. Then they make with meth the speedballs because meth is a psychostimulant. So they put the fentanyl with it. And now it's getting into the marijuana, particularly the synthetic packs of this K2. That's a different story here. That's a very different story. You know, I'm not running for office, so, I, you know, I could say this. I don't care. You know, when it comes to the long-term addicts, there's no evidence-based treatment. I, I don't care what they say. We're flushing so much money down the toilet with it. You know, they're, they're goners, okay? That, that's just how it is. And this day and age, they're going to be goners very quickly because the stuff that they're putting in is so potent, they'll, they'll die pretty quickly. When, when you know their addiction uh, degenerates that quickly. But my concern is about you know even faith-based communities where parents try to raise their kids as best as they can, but it's very hard now and you know if you have a number of kids, you have three, four kids, it's it's tough that you know it's very likely that one of them is going to get into a bad patch at some stage in his life. And whereas before he might have come out of it with relatively, uh, you know, small, um, 
you know, problems resulting from it. Short-term problems, okay, got hooked on some marijuana, tried some other drugs. Now he could go to a party or whatever and be dead the first time. That's a serious problem. I'm going to link to in show notes the article I put out last week. For those of you who haven't read it yet, you should, where you know there was the big headline about um, about this, uh, you know, seventy-two thousand deaths according to CDC from drugs, and I showed you guys how it was almost all illicit drugs. It's not prescriptions. Prescriptions have been severely limited, too limited. The pendulum has swung the too much the other way, just like the pendulum against incarceration has swung too much the other way. It's all illicit drugs, even the ones that are put down on the toxicology reports as death caused due to prescription drugs, really it was mixed with heroin. So these are not your stable chronic pain patients that you know don't have emotional and mental issues or whatever. You know, they're not going to be doing that. It's the drug addicts. They'll get a hold of anything and whatever. There is somewhat of a diversion problem with OxyContin, but a lot of that's because of the Medicaid expansion. It just created this pipeline of free availability, and it's often, unfortunately, unfortunately, that demographic that um, that is prone and you know vulnerable to to this abuse. So that's the truth about this drug crisis. It's 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 not something you could ignore, and it's something that is almost all external at a primary level. It's an immigration problem. You know, it's a law enforcement problem. But what I find interesting is all these pseudo-libertarians have the balls to fight against the law enforcement aspects of this. It's a lot of pressure to fight against that. But somehow the libertarianism goes out the window when it comes to fighting the, you know, the DEA going after prescriptions and regulating health care. That's pretty anti-libertarian. And the nanny state billions of dollars we spend on these stupid, crony treatment programs. Which, you know, I'm just saying, you know, even my friends, you know, like people like Thomas Massey and, you know, you have Justin Amash. I agree with them a lot of things, but, you know, they are very libertarian. And they'll, oh, they, they, anytime they see an effort to, like, downgrade drugs, oh, drugs, what's this war on drugs? But somehow I don't see them voting against these, you know, nanny state bills. And it's tough because politically they're like, you know, untouchable. But that's a broader point I want to bring up. And I want to directly address libertarians. The problem we're having here is I could write a whole book on libertarian ass hattery. How libert you can't half bake libertarianism. You have to apply it fully. And the problem is that libertarians pick certain things that they agree with with liberals, but they, they, they only fight for those things or, or are unsuccessful in the other things. So you don't get a libertarian outcome. In our society, you get a liberal devastating outcome. And, and that's where it comes in here. See, there's this theory that you know markets are efficient – there's always going to be a demand. Where there's a demand, there's a way. You're not going to stop going. You know, you can't fight it on the supply side. Now, I disagree with that, but let's just, you know, indulge that for a minute. 
and you know just legalize it. Now, I'm not sure what they mean by legalizing because we – like I said, we essentially did legalize marijuana, and it's worse than ever because that gets them into – it's the gateway into the worst drugs. So what? We should legalize heroin and fentanyl and carfentanyl and anything? I mean – is that what they're saying? I don't know. Email me if you understand it. But let's just say that's their 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 play. So I'm assuming the play would be this. The play would be that, look, you know, let anyone do what they want, and then they'll die, and then you know, people will understand that you die, and they won't do it again. And this is just the opposite. If you want to be tough on the cartels and the drug traffickers and crime, you know, this is how you're going to stop it. And this is the, this is the only way to do it. And then you know there's no market for it. You know as long as there's a market and you're fighting against the market, you're empowering them. But if you let the market resolve itself, then you put them out of business. So I mean, first off, they should just you know. So they point out to places like Switzerland. There's places in a bunch of places in Europe, Portugal, Spain. I don't know, Belgium maybe or Netherlands. I'm, I apologize. I'm being inaccurate here because I just I don't have the countries off the top of my head. Which ones do? Which ones don't? Did they have these zones you could just smoke at? But here's the deal. See, this is where having a comprehensive knowledge of the entire picture, the law enforcement side, the terrorism side, the Hezbollah side, the immigration side. And the healthcare side, I studied all of it to the best of my ability, and I'm still learning more every day. Most of these people are myopic. They have this myopic approach to it. So I actually understand that Hezbollah has a hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars, they earn from the cocaine trade. Do you know where most of that is? Most of it is not America. That's the um, Mexican cartels. Most of it is the European market. So they're making money some, <laughs> somewhere. So, I mean, you know, and I'm pretty sure it's in the countries that, are le- that legalize this stuff too. So I don't know what they're talking about. But anyway, there's something more fundamental. The problem with all these bills, there's one thing if you say, look, we're going to devolve, not retroactively because you never want to do retroactive jailbreak, but prospectively, we're going to devolve drug statutes to the states. Okay, fine. Fine, that's one thing. Or there's one thing if you say, we're going to fully legalize it. We're just going to legalize it. Maybe you could indulge a libertarian outcome that everyone's going to die. It's like, hands off, no nanny state. You're on your own, buddy. I'm not saying I believe in that. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just indulge me for a minute. So then what happens? What happens? So then over time, you say it's, it's over with. There's no market for it anymore. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is it's com- on, on, the, on the consumer side, it's still completely illegal. So they still have to obtain it dangerously in dangerous circumstances with all the poison and everything. All you're doing is just downgrading on the law enforcement side. See what I'm saying? This is a very deep point. I want to make sure you guys get this. They're not legalizing it at all. It's but libertarians latch onto oh any, any effort to like downgrade oh uh, yeah I support that like you don't understand that's the worst of all war- worlds because you're continuing it, the fact that it's illegal so it's it's a tremendously lucrative market you're just taking away the deterrent and really lightening sentencing 
and you're, they're not scared anymore. And I have reports, a DEA report from Pennsylvania showing how they started to move away from fentanyl and went back to cocaine and meth in some places because they, they, were, they were scared that we're going to like chop their heads off with fentanyl. So believe me, they respond to that. You see what I'm saying? The worst thing you could do is keep the illegality, which we're doing. So you have this whole illicit market and then just say we're going to just do leniencies on the traffickers. I mean, that's the dumbest thing imaginable. It's a disaster. And indeed, that is what we've been doing on a state level. And really, without an official piece of legislation, we've been doing it on a federal level for the last 8 to 10 years. Only 35% of drug traffickers in the federal system in fiscal year 2017, according to the U.S. Sentence Commission uh, cumulative quarterly report, only 35% got at or above the sentencing guidelines. The rest got below. There's tons of safety valves. They get out of it. It's a joke. It's already like that. We already have jailbreak, and we're already seeing the devastating results. But it's more than that. See, you know, my, my, my dad has a little bit of a libertarian streak on some of this stuff, and he always told me, he said, you know, and, and you'll hear this from, like, this is, I believe, the true libertarian position that, look, you know, um, I don't care. You know, these guys want to shoot up, go shoot up. And we'll come around the next day with the garbage trucks and pick up the carcasses. <laughs> the problem is we don't come around with the garbage trucks. I, I'm not – God forbid, don't sound like I'm like begrudging that we have this beautiful, amazing – you know, almost like reviving the dead with Narcan and Naloxone. But you know, I, I've spoken to law enforcement agents, and, they, and they, they'll tell you, you know, they literally bring people back alive with Narcan, but then – they're back to doing it again. Meaning, uh, it's the worst of all worlds. This is what happens when you when you keep it illegal, but then you downgrade. You know, you don't have the deterrent on the drug traffickers, but then you have all these nanny state programs and all the money put into Narcan and this and that, and the, all the cops carrying it. They don't die. I mean, I mean don't don't. You know, look, you know, if anyone's listening and I know people monitor the program, look, oh, Daniel's saying he's hoping these people die. No, I'm trying to indulge their argument. They don't die. So you're not you're, – what I'm saying is you don't get that libertarian outcome. You get the worst of all worlds under these policies. That's the problem. And again, not to mention that these are the people doing all the other crimes as well. And not to mention – that most of this is an external problem. Almost all of the meth, cocaine, and heroin is coming from outside the country. Fentanyl from China, trafficked by the Mexican cartels, and most of the K2 is from these Yemeni immigrants. It's the counterterrorism that we uncover, that we could uncover if we go after this. And again, it's an external problem. See, I agree a war on an inanimate object that is natural in our culture and economy, you're not going to eradicate. That's the argument why a war on guns doesn't work, and I agree with that. 
But what if suddenly you started seeing people show up with shoulder-fired missiles on the street? Are you going to tell me that's natural? That's what's happening now. This is not marijuana. First of all, the marijuana itself, most people tell me, is 50 to 100 times more potent than it was in the 60s. But um, this is a poisoning epidemic. People are just dropping like flies. So you have this entire jailbreak movement that was built on a lie. It was built long before this crisis that started as a result of the amalgamation of open borders from the Central Americans and the cartels, sanctuary cities, and going weak on drug traffickers. That's what precipitated this all around 2012 to 2014 and accelerated in 15 and 16 and 17. All of this preceded that. So what happened was, you can imagine, it was a different era. Picture 2008. We were at the nadir of crime. It looked like, you know, you didn't, we didn't solve it, but, you know, it's, it was pretty good. We, it was one of the best things we've ever accomplished in our society in recent years. Violent crime dropped by, by 60 70%. Um, and then, then what happened? Then, uh, you know, incarceration was, was at its peak. And we're like, look, so basically people like Ed Meese and Al Reaganry and a lot of conservatives joined on this thing. Look, mainly we want to end over-criminalization of BS crimes. Like, for example, I have a great example of this in my article on Friday on this stupid judge mandating that Trump continue this WOTUS, the Waters of the United States regulation promulgated by Obama to regulate the drainage ditches, you know, or literally seasonal water. Sometimes you could have like a low-lying area that's not even always doesn't even always have a puddle in it. That's considered waters, navigable waters. <laughs> you know, statute said that the federal government could regulate under the Clean Water Act navigable waters, meaning, um, you know, like the Mississippi River, you know, <laughs> where you have ships going down. And literally, you know, he just—I mean, it was—it was lawless. It was just—it was clearly not pursuant to statute. There's no way statute meant that. And a judge, you know, one of the many things that judges are making him continue um, Trump's policy, Obama's policy, and we'll, we'll talk about that more as the week goes on. Um, you know, that, that's an over-criminalization issue. We all agree. There's a lot of BS crimes, permitting stupid things. We all agree to that. The white-collar stuff, I'm not saying there aren't bad white-collar crimes that need to be punished and, and deterred. But that's mainly what it was. And they were like, yeah, maybe, you know, 12 years ago, maybe on marijuana, maybe there's some people for a certain drug, possession especially, we could do something about. But what happened was a lot of it to begin with was built on an erroneous assumption. You know, it was overblown that we really, even at the peak of doing good still, you know, 60 to 70% of, of rapes and armed robberies and like 40% of murders were going unsolved, unprosecuted. So many people, I mean, forever. I mean, anyone in this audience who has been a victim, knows victims, understands that still we have a criminal market, even at the peak of tough and crime policies in America last decade. And you know, maybe there are slivers here and there, or maybe yeah, we maybe could you you could argue we're overzealous on drug possession, but it really wasn't that much. 
Most of these were really bad dudes. And if maybe the indictment and the ultimate conviction looked like it was for something maybe disproportionate, but ultimately who they were and their rap sheets reflected it, and it was reflected in the precipitous drop in the crime rates because they were doing the assaults, they were doing the armed robberies, and often even the murders and other things. But then, and that was all on a state level. None of this ever applied to a federal level because by definition, the people in federal prison was different. It was all built on a lie. But then in the ensuing years, they successfully got all these states from the blue states like Maryland and California to, to Texas and Louisiana to enact all these jailbreak laws. And you literally see a crisscross phenomenon where the literally the years in, in, in 2012 in Louisiana, 2012 is the peak year of incarceration and it's the nadir year of crime. And then after 2012, the prison population started to go down, commensurate with that, crime rates went up. And when I say crime rates, I mean um, murder, rape, armed robbery, and assault. Violent crime. I'm only talking about violent crime. So they have this big lie. And we're locking up a lot of people, especially in federal prison, which is insane. It's so not true um, because we're talking about federal legislation here. For nonviolent crimes, disproportionate, too much money, and it just takes people that aren't violent and then you put them in prison and they are violent and then they have recidivism. When really it's the opposite. The recidivism is because we let them out too early. We let too many of them out and they're they're just irremediably broken people. Like you see with these cases, the case in Connecticut, they're always going to be doing that, and they need to be locked up. The cost of violent crime every year in America is tens of billions. Hundreds of, sorry, hundreds of billions. Uh, violent and, and property crimes. You can't imagine, or some of you could, um, who go through this, the amount of, you know, when you have a car smashed up and stolen... Um, I've, I've had this so many people in my neighborhood because we have the whole issue with the with the youths and the juveniles, which is a big part of this bill. Basically avoiding jail time for all juveniles. I, I, I live it. It's deterrent. See, what they don't understand is, oh, that's, that's too harsh. The hope is that you decrease crime, but the people that break you and cross the line, you got to be willing that, – that's law and order. you got to be willing to implement it. Here, it's a joke. They know they're not going to be locked up, particularly juveniles. They punch people in the face. They, they break into cars. I mean, they wreak havoc in, in the Baltimore area. And, and, and the, you know, the police do their job, but they catch them. And they usually have five, six felonies within six to eight months. It's the same story with all of them. And they're out. But anyway, anyway, what happened what happened over time is they all had this lie that it's nonviolent. And really, they were doing all the violent crime, and that's why crime is going up now. Because we've done this on a state level, we've done this on a federal level. We've let go forty-six thousand. Obama let go another eighteen hundred drug traffickers and and firearm felons. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a jujitsu talking point against the left? You want to take away guns, and, and now you're letting out gun felons? 
Well, Republicans supported too. But unfortunately, because we have a movement of people that do not take the time to study policy, which I consider malpractice, you have no right to engage in this space without, you know, look, everyone's going to have their opinions and you could think I'm wrong and I, that, that's fine. But I at least do my best and spend – and this is why I'm not on Fox News. I don't spend time. I'm a hermit in my office just talking with people, reading, studying, researching as many issues as I can, and you know that. I've spent so much time on this. This is what I do all day. But now even people like Jim DeMint gets caught into it and all his staff, some friends of mine. I can tell you they don't know the issue, they don't know the background, they don't know the trends, they don't know the bill, they don't know the provisions of what it does, the consequences, they don't understand the criminal justice system, what you know, what type of people get into it, how charges are pled down, nothing. Just make it up. Look, you know I've respected Jim DeMint for many years, but I will tell you, you know, for the most part, policy is not his thing, to put it nicely. And uh, that's where we are now. So 10 years later, we have an entire movement that is billion dollars of industry now. Everyone's for it. Not the people, but the people are asleep because they don't realize this is happening. Happen quietly. And meanwhile, it's all built on a lie. Then there's the immigration aspect. Most people in Fed, not most people, but a... A, a, a very predominant plurality and minority of those in the federal system, particularly on drug trafficking charges, which is reflective of the broader drug issue, are foreign nationals. It's an immigration problem. If you did the 10, 15 things we want to do on immigration, you would solve this. Now, I would argue you would you know, preserve public safety and – wouldn't have as many drugs and lethal drugs so available at such a cheap price. That's the key point here. You limit it. It's not every 20-year-old to get a hold of it for so cheap. But I know they don't give a damn about public safety. They just care about the cost of prison. Okay, so then that's how you reduce it. I'm looking right here in, in front of me. I'm looking at the latest quarterly report from the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Very detailed. You don't have to speculate. Like, there are some people in prison. Prison is not like an abstract statistic. We have hard data on who is and who isn't in federal prison from the Justice Department. Right away, you look at statistics, and something should really jump out at you. 50 3% of federal offenders are Hispanic. Now, right away, it should ring, raise an alarm bell. Like, what, huh? I mean, twice as many Hispanics are in federal prison as, as blacks? I mean, it, it just doesn't doesn't make sense. They don't you know, commit that much. I mean, you know, there's elements, obviously, that are, you know, especially, again, the MS-13, whatever, but that doesn't make sense. But then it hits you like a ton of bricks. You look at the system, 41% of all offenders are non-citizens. It's clogging up the system. 
Many of them are, are in there on immigration charges. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean immigration charges? If you're on immigration charges, why aren't you just under ISIS custody, not G DOJ, and deported? Well, a lot of times it's because they came here and they beat the hell out of someone and did something else. But again, it's so hard to land a conviction, and they want to lock them up because they're public safety concern, and they're scared they're going to come back, or, they re or they've come back over the border a number of times. So they'll just prosecute them on immigration charges. And then often they'll prosecute them on drug charges too because they're the primary drug traffickers are the illegals. And that's why the top six are – they're all they're, – it's Mexico, El Salvador, um, Honduras, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and I'm, – I'm forgetting which one is Brazil. or It's one of the ones from South America. Um, those are the – you know, the, the, the top uh, countries of origin. That's your drug problem. That's your federal prison population. It's an immigration issue. That's why whenever you have a jailbreak bill, and you're like, let's release federal drug traffickers. That's why, like, dude, you're releasing criminal aliens. It's an immigration problem. I'm not just trying to, like, you know, hijack the issue and make it about immigration. It's a very prominent percentage Yet these are the same jerks promoting open borders. Like, there's too many people in the federal criminal justice system. <laughs> yeah, because you imported. You don't. You don't have, just have your violent criminals. You have the violent criminals of the other countries. And like I said, it's not just the Mexicans. Even a certain percentage of the Americans, they're only involved in the in the drug trafficking down the totem pole because we have the open borders. Meaning if you shut this off, not only wouldn't you have the Mexican and El Salvadoran MS-13 drug traffickers, you wouldn't have some of the American ones as well. 53% of the offenders are Hispanic. But you won't hear that. These people don't even know it. They're so – they're just dumbasses. I mean, you know, like – Whenever you have statistics about America, you know, 325 million people, it's garbage in, garbage out. Everyone's going to use their own stuff here and there, polls, surveys. You know, but this is not polls and surveys. This is not like a poll. We have hard data. It's a, it's a defined, confined, quite literally, population that we know everything about. We have them documented. It's, may, it, it's not like I disagree with you philo philosophically. There might be philosophical disagreements on crime, and there clearly are, but – the whole debate doesn't get off the ground. It's built on a lie. It's not true. There are no nonviolent drug traffickers that you could just simply release and there won't be a risk from federal prison. And I would argue for the most part, not anymore in state prison either, but certainly in federal prison. So this is the big lie we're dealing with on drugs and crime. And it all ties back into immigration. And then, like I said, with this K2 stuff, there's a terrorism, terror financing angle as well. And about the drug healthcare angle, I just want to say it is the most immoral thing imaginable what is taking place here where we have a national security problem with this poisoning, particularly of our youth. It's only going to get worse. There's going to be thousands of people dying from this stuff. And they're ignoring the source releasing the people who do it, 
And then in places like Oregon, they have such draconian laws. Even the Wall Street Journal had a op-ed about this, um, just how terrible, terrible it is what's going on with them clamping down on, on pain patients. And by the way, if you have a story in the audience, email me, dharowitz at crtv.com. Um, I'd like to hear it because I know a lot of pain patients are having having terrible you know, terrible decisions. Imagine, you know, you're on this stuff for years and, you know, you're not going to heroin, you're not dying, you're not overdosing. It's not ideal. It's not an ideal um, life. You know, we had Dr. John Lilly on a couple months ago. Um, but, you know, until someone comes up with a better thing, I mean, this is what we have. If it's properly prescribed and then just to carte blanche have government come in and cut it off, it's awful. It is immoral what is going on. They are doing this in order to obfuscate and distract from the real problems because this whole drug crisis, which is not an opioid crisis, it's a poly drug crisis. Not even so much drugs, it's, it's these tranquilizers now, the benzodiazepines they're putting fentanyl in. It's a, it's a drug poisoning problem. It would implicate the open borders agenda, and it would implicate the criminal justice deform agenda. And that's why you're seeing the lies. But thankfully, you are seeing a movement in healthcare with do doctors, uh, medical scholars coming out with um, journal articles just decrying this and just busting it up. And a lot of them, I feel very vindicated. I, I jumped into the sea when no one was doing it, but now there's a lot of scholarly work demonstrating my work that, um, my thesis that prescriptions have long gone down before the crisis even started because they were cut back. A lot of them weren't even dying from that anyway, because the way they were reported on toxicology reports wasn't true. All that stuff. Um, some great journal articles I've been, uh, I've been working on, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it there. But this is what we're fighting with Jared and, and all these guys, all these guys. Um, but, you know, we are somewhat starting to finally wake up a sleeping giant. We need the silent majority of this country that wants tough on crime policies. They want what Trump campaigned on, not what Trump is starting to do. They want that enacted. Where's the promise to be tough on crime when the first thing he does to address crime is, oh, pardon, pardon, pardon. Oh, the media gave me good coverage. Pleasurable moments, pleasurable experiences. I want more of that. No, Mr. President. We need a movement to get him off of that. Um, I'm going to talk later this week. Maybe I should even have him on the show if, if there's time to the um, – there's a bunch of attorneys general, obviously all Republican, that are working on a letter against this bill. Um, and, you know, in, until now we have, again, the Fraternal Order of Police, National Association of Assistant U.S. Attorneys, narcotics cops, obviously, um, prison wardens. So... Um, you know, but I know it's being spearheaded by um, by the Attorney General of Alabama, that office, and um, that's Steve Marshall. Uh, so you know that's that's some good news. They're starting to wake up because again, they're adding the sentencing part.
to this back-end jailbreak bill. I just want to read to you, um, you know, before we run out of time, I want to read to you something amazing, just absolutely amazing. Charles Grassley has the nerve to tweet, to, to tweet at Jeff Sessions, are you sabotaging Trump's agenda? Um, he's being like an animal here on jailbreak. Now, Charles Grassley is retarded. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of him in a congressional hearing. He sounds like a bungling fool, and he talks about uh, uh, undocumented immigrants, uh, undocumented immigrants. And like every second, you know, even when he's trying to hold a hearing fighting the left, he actually uses their talking points. He's just off his rocker. But this is a man that until his entire career, he sounded like me, literally like me. He said the exact same things. Up until, what is this? March and even April 2015. And then in the fall of 2015, he inexplicably, to this day, this remains unexplained and unaccounted for, one of the greatest flips in American political history, he went all the way to Soros Coke world on this. I want to read to you some of the things he said. This is from a floor statement, September 17th, 2013. And, and remember, you know, the iterations of this bill that he introduced with Lee and, Gra and the Durbin were – they were introduced for a couple of years before in, in a similar form. So he's talking about in, in that context. Quote, I do not agree with him that um, – this is Cory Booker he's referring to. I do not agree with him that prisons today warehouse and forget. All kinds of programs and incentives exist for prisoners today to improve their behavior when they are released. Sentences can be shorted by completion of these programs. And I don't think that the solution to a cycle that ends in incarceration is simply to incarcerate criminals for less time or to jail fewer criminals. Beautifully said. I mean, that's exactly the point. Continues, for the most part, it is not the case that too many Americans go to prisons for too long for no good law enforcement reason. And the Attorney General just is not right this is Eric Holder back then, 2013, when he says that widespread incarceration at the federal, state, and local levels is both ineffective and unsustainable. Increased incarceration has led to less crime. I do see that for the first time in five years, the Obama administration has finally found one area of federal spending that it wants to cut, prisons. But in the same speech, the attorney general called on more spending and uh, on federal defenders. I do not agree with that. The Attorney General correctly notes that, quote, unwarranted disparities are far too common. He cited one report that shows that black male offenders have received sentences nearly 20% longer than those imposed on white male males convicted of similar crimes, and that this is shameful. But he overlooks the reason for those disparities. They exist not so much due to mandatory minimum sentences, which existed both before Booker and after. In fact, Congress has reduced mandatory minimum sentences since Booker. Rather, the disparities are due primarily to the Supreme Court's Booker decision that made the sentencing guidelines advisory rather than to mandatory minimums. Um, since the 2005 ruling, the guidelines have been applied in fewer and fewer cases every year. Sentences imposed now turn on which judge the offender appeal appears before, and more than before, 
the um, quality of the lawyer and the other factors that produced disparity before the Sentencing Reform Act are now creeping back into sentencing. And and that's the thing. It's already broken. You already see this. The um, That same U.S. Sentencing Commission report that I referenced, it divides up the percentage of those who get below the sentencing guidelines by circuit and even by district court. And you see, I mean, the Ninth Circuit and the Liberal Circuits, D.C., Fourth, um, you know, the the um, second circuit, which is where New York is, it's all way down. Okay, let's move on. Um, I mean, this is this is incredible, incredible. Okay, Grassley um, floor statement on Smarter Sentencing Act. Literally, basically, what he's um not not just championing, but championing like a dog, as as Trump would say. <laughs> April eighth, twenty fourteen. Supporters of the bill say it allows for shorter sentences only for nonviolent offenders. That term, nonviolent offenders, is highly misleading. First, the phrase conjures up people in jail for simple possession. But this bill does not apply to simple possession at all for any drug. Second, the types of offenses this bill applies to are violent. Importing cocaine is violent. The whole operation turns on violent. Dealing, violence. Dealing heroin also involves violence or threat of violence. Third, the crime for which the defendant is being sentenced might have been violent. The mandatory minimum sentence would be cut even if the criminal's co-defendant used a gun, and which is true of the current bill as well. Fourth, the criminal himself could have been had, had a violent history. Although the bill does not apply to a drug crime for which the defendant used violence, it does apply to criminals with a history of violence. That is, the bill would permit a shorter mandatory minimum where the defendant was not violent on this occasion, but was in the past. And you know they always get out. Um, quote, supporters of the bill never acknowledged that it would apply to drug dealers with a history of violent crime. Other provisions of the bill expand the safety valve that allows judges not to impose mandatory minimum sentences on offenders with minimal criminal history. The bill's proponents never identify which violent offenders who fail to qualify for even the bill's expanded safety valve should be able to receive the bill's shorter mandatory minimum sentences. And that's the thing. They leave that very open. And, okay, um, where is this? I'm just going to – we're going long here. We know from the experience of the states that when mandatory minimum sentences are reduced, judges use their greater discretion only to sentence the same or more leniently even when the drug offender has a history of violence. And look, these same judges that we talk about every day on the show and write about every week at Conservative Review, they're the ones that will be deciding this. Then he touches on cost. Although supporters of this bill claim it will reduce costs, what it will really do is shift costs from prison budgets to crime victims. As Professor Matt DeLisi of Iowa State University testified before the Judiciary Committee, juvenile drug use is the best predictor of chronic offending and that, quote, drug users offend at levels three to four times greater than persons not convicted of drug crimes. He stated that criminal justice research shows that, quote, releasing 1% of the current BOP population would result in approximately 32,850 additional murders, rapes, robberies, aggravated assaults, burglaries, auto thefts, and incidents of arson. The empirical data are clear. Lower mandatory minimum sentences mean increased crime and increased victims. I could go on and on and on. On and on and on. Um, he, he, I mean, literally, I would just be repeating my show. I'm just looking on. He literally said everything I've said. 
I mean, this is like it would be the equivalent of one day. Um, I don't know, you know, Ted Cruz waking up and saying, I love Obamacare, or Elizabeth Warren waking up one day and saying, I want to repeal Obamacare. It's just astounding. Astounding. Unbelievable. That is the power of the Kochs. They got this man within a period of a couple weeks in 2015 to flip from Jeff Sessions' position to the full Soros on crime and drugs. But anyway, I just I just hope you guys get a broader perspective on this and you know just keep watching my writings every time I add something new. Um, every show we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna have more experts on the healthcare side, the drug side, the terrorism side, the immigration side of this, because we look at things broadly here at the Conservative Conscience. And you know what I'm never gonna do is insult your intelligence and do things on the cheap. And um, and that's what it is. Uh, you know, otherwise there's there's a lot of immigration news I haven't gotten to, but um, lots of stuff going on. You know, the I'm just looking now. They're doing ICE shaming now. Oh, ICE is deporting a guy with a pregnant wife, and really the guy is wa- wanted for murder in in Mexico. Um, it's uh, it's pretty bad stuff. Um, other news: Sessions is doing good stuff, by the way, with immigration judges that have shut down cases and closed them and let people go to reopen them. Again, there's no right to be here. It's not double jeopardy. Not, that's not a criminal conviction. Um, what else? There's, there's, there's a lot going on. I, I really want to get into the West Virginia impeachment more. I mentioned that before, but um, it's a busy week. We're going to get into that later. Uh, but just and, and more with the judges. But another thing, nearly 20 illegal immigrant juveniles skip deportation hearings, disappear into the shadows every day. Stephen Dine of the Washington Times. More than 200,000 of the juveniles known as unaccompanied alien children have been released into communities in recent years. Think about that. Think about that. Just, what is this? Trying to get the percentage here. About 3% of the children. 3% have been deported. As you well know, most of them are 16, 17, 18. When they came, you know, so if you're a 16-year-old in 2014, now you're, um, you're 20, That's your MS-13 crisis. That's your drug crisis. That's what's ravaging our schools. Unbelievable. That was the single worst iteration. See, it is true that in raw numbers, we had more illegal immigrants coming over on a you know weekly, monthly basis in the 90s, in you know periods around 2005 or so was pretty bad 2004, 2005. Um, But pound per pound, these were the worst ones we've ever gotten. And we had a second wave. It's it's abating a little bit, thankfully, but still 
going strong, even after Trump. A lot of this is because of the mixed messages in his administration. You know, by the way, j- just so you know, just, you know, with this mixed messaging thing, it's it's amazing. Um, I have a friend who who's close with the Morales government in Guatemala. Jimmy Morales, he's a good guy. He's often called the Trump of Guatemala. This is the guy who moved the Jerusalem, their Israeli embassy to Jerusalem. They have good relations with Israel. Um, they actually really want to help us stem the tide, not just of the Guatemalans, but Guatemala is the transit point for Middle Easterners coming over, which we're going to deal with in greater detail in the coming days and weeks here, the conservative conscience. But he wants to work with us he under- to stop that because he's a target now. And Soros is going after him with his groups down there in, in Latin America through the Open Society Foundation. And he says it's like well, what my friend told me is that um, he knows some of the ministers in Morales's government. He said it's like dealing with two administrations. They have great relations with DEA and CBP, um, Justice Department. But then, like you know, the embassies are like radicals. The the American embassy in in uh, Guatemala City and the the state department just in general they're just they're they're really they're bad it's like obama so that still has not changed and that's a big problem that's a very big problem so um so there's that to watch out for but we we, we got a lot going on here we're really going to f- focus on jailbreak this week we're going to focus on the lessons to learn from West Virginia with the impeachment of judges. More stuff going on with the crazy liberal judges. We'll put that into show notes. Um, there's a lot more to say about the details of the bill, what a joke it is, how they're internally conflicting and lying and insane, and how it's built on just a talking point. And it's all political. You wouldn't draft such a bill, which is what all the law enforcement agencies are warning, including those that were even more open to it to begin with. But facts and details just don't matter in this business. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you guys. The simple fact of the matter is you got to go to purple.com and check out Purple's mattresses, pillows, and cushions. I actually just got my cushion from them. You know, I always cannot wait to hit the sack every night. I'm exhausted. I need a good night's sleep. That's the key to success in your life. And the thing is, it's just like, it's the perfect mix of firmness and softness. The material they make it, it's, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's, it's brilliant. Um, it, it's designed to mitigate all the pressure points that you feel. And now I got my cushion that I sit at because I had a major problem. Um, <laughs> as you know, because I'm not, kind of doing showbiz and, you know, running around all day on the Fox circuit, I'm actually, I'm often, I'm when I'm not pacing the floors on the phone, I'm sitting and sitting and often I'm, you know, I'm straining, I'm reading and writing and, and typing, typing, and I'm just in awkward positions. And by the end of the week, I would get very, just these aching pains, almost nauseating sometimes in my hips. This wasn't sitting right. And this cushion, it's like, oh, it's almost hard to 
to get pumped up now because it's so relaxing. You know, it's it's just it, it feels like you're on air, but it, but it, but in a solid way. So purple.com, you get your free pillow with your purchase of pur- purple mattress, but check out their cushions as well. Great product. Um and again, I I I I'm telling you guys if you're thinking, "Yeah, I don't know if I want to spend that much." Um 100 day free guarantee. You could try it if you're like, "Yeah, I don't want to spend this. It's not worth it." Um, you could send it back for free. Shipping's free both directions. But I, th- I think you will want it, and you'll want to keep it. And if you do, 10-year warranty, purple.com, promo code Daniel, the softest, firmest, most scientifically made mattresses in America. Anyway, folks, this is going to be a busy week, but I wanted to get an early start. That's why we did a Sunday show. Um, whenever you hear this, it will be earlier than you usually do in the week. But thanks for staying with us here. Send me your feedback and comments as always. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.